And uh, I want to begin this uh, series on uh, invitation to the feast by asking, by asking a question. And the question is, how many of you, show of hands please, how many of you were raised on a farm? Can I see your hands? Okay, okay, more, more than a few were, were raised on a farm. By the way, if I had asked that question 150 years ago, it would be like almost everybody in the room. Uh, let me show you some numbers. 150 years ago, over 80% of the population in America had an agricultural or farming-relating job, and today that has dropped to under 2% of the population in America has an agricultural or farming-related job. And you go, what happened? What happened was machinery. Because we used to plow like that, and now we plow like that. And what that means is, is that fewer people can get far more work done in far less time. But a consequence, we just have to recognize that a consequence is that uh, most of us, because of this, get a little separated from where our crops come from. Uh, most of us do not have a summer anxiety. Will there be enough rain? Uh, very few of us, if fall arrives early, are kind of going like, oh my goodness, if we get a frost and it's too early, it could wipe out this crop. And we've lost the sense of relief when a crop is harvested and it's sheltered and it's like in a barn and just that sense of everything is gathered in now. Even even if I buy groceries, you know, uh, vegetables or fruits at a farmer's market sold by the people who produce them locally, still, I'm a little bit separated from the field. Now, as we open our Bible and we look back at, at ancient Israel, we've just got to understand that if I had asked those folks how many of your lives uh, are agricultural in nature, almost every hand would grow up because they lived in the day before machinery and it just took a lot of people to produce crops for your own household and also for others. And so it, it shouldn't surprise us as we look at the Old Testament of our Bible that there is not just one Thanksgiving day, not just two Thanksgiving days, but three major Thanksgiving festivals where people literally would travel to the city of Jerusalem and offer thanks to God because the rain fell, the crops grew, and this relief that you had food for another year. Three major pilgrimage festivals. Now, you can read about these in your Bible in Exodus, also in Leviticus, also in Deuteronomy, and a couple verses we're going to look at come from Deuteronomy chapter 16, and you get a sense here. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord at a place he will choose. And then it gives the three festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. Now that thing about at the place he will choose, the people had escaped slavery in Egypt, they're in the desert the wilderness, as they get these instructions, they're not in the promised land yet. They don't know that their temple will be in Jerusalem. So it's going to look, someday there will be a city, there will be a temple, you will go now, the Lord will choose a place, but you're going to travel there three times a year. And here they're called the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, these are called different names 
in the same feasts are called by different names in different books of the Bible. There are three labels that I'm going to give these for our series. And so looking at them like in a cycle, they're Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. That Passover happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That Pentecost thing is also called the Feast of Weeks. And the thing about Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Ingathering. But we're going to talk about them as Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Give it a shot. Play along. Same with me. Ready? Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, see where they fall on the calendar. Uh, Passover is an early spring festival. Pentecost is just a couple months later, literally 50 days later, seven weeks later. And Tabernacles is on the opposite side of the year of Passover. So one of them is an early spring, and one of them is an early fall festival. One of them uh, like late March, one of them late September. Three times a year, you travel to the city of Jerusalem to say thank you, thank you, thank you for our crops. Now, what I want to do with our time today is, first of all, I just want to give you kind of an overview. So I'm going to give just a couple minutes to each of these festivals just so there's a basic concept of what it is and, where, and when it was. But after, because we're going to spend a week on each one. Next week, I get to talk about Feast of Passover. Weekend after that, Pastor Aaron Buer is going to do the week, uh, Feast of Pentecost. And then I'm going to come back with the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're going to do a deeper dive into eat the beauty of each one of these. But today, just kind of want you to get the, the big picture and get a sense kind of for the cycle of their year. So I'm going to give a very brief overview and they're kind of like, okay, dude, but what does that have to do with us? We're not farmers. We don't live in Israel. We don't travel off to Jerusalem. Ah, after giving a brief overview, I'm going to talk about three habits, three practices that I believe can serve us powerfully as we go into our holiday season. And we are just on the very edge of our holiday season. By holiday season, I'm talking about the, the four major holidays that we celebrate, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and Super Bowl. So as we move into our holiday season, after doing the overview, I'm going to talk about three behaviors, three practices, three habits that I think can really challenge us as we take some principles from those first feasts from long ago and then apply them to our own uh, culture and our own lives. So the overview first, uh, just that first one, Feast of, uh, feast of Passover. And uh, Feast of Passover is the like late March. And Feast of Passover, from a harvest standpoint, it celebrated your first grain harvest, which was barley. Apparently, barley ripened before wheat, and so your barley harvest would happen, and literally, you would cut your barley, and then you would travel off to Jerusalem to give thanks for the barley harvest, early spring, but there's another word there. There's harvest, and what's the second word? Harvest and harvest in history. Because as you travel, kind of as a Thanksgiving day for your crop, in addition to the harvest, there was also a historic episode that Passover remembered. And what Passover commemorated was as a people, as the Israelites, your escape from Egypt. 
how God rescued you from Egypt. And this event, the Passover, was an annual time to remember that you were a rescued people. You had been a slave people, and now you were free. So in addition to the barley harvest, there was also this God is our rescuer. He rescued us. And so there's harvest, and then there's history. Now, just seven weeks later, about 50 days later, there's the second annual festival, and it's called, help me here, it's called Pentecost. Now, barley harvest first, wheat harvest second. Your wheat is now in. All of your grains are harvested again. You travel to the city of Jerusalem for harvest in history. Harvest, giving thanks to God that it looked like your family would be eating during the next year. It wasn't, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? It's like, I'm grateful that we now have grain and that we will have bread. And so you're giving thanks for the wheat harvest. But over time, Pentecost became the annual holiday which commemorated the giving of the law. <laughs> that is, the Israelites leave Egypt, they go out into the desert, Moses ascends Mount Sinai, and he comes down with instructions, guidance for the people of Israel. Honor your mom and dad. Honor the marriage you're in. Don't become a culture marked by murder and lying and theft. The Ten Commandments are this glue to honor God as a culture. And so that's what Pentecost came to remember historically was the giving of the law. So it's kind of like he rescued us and he guides us. Then on the flip side of the year, you get to that fall festival, and the fall festival is called Tabernacles. Now, we know, if you have like a backyard garden, you know that different crops ripen at different times, right? I mean, you might have tomatoes that ripen in, uh, I don't know, August, but then maybe pumpkins that ripen in October, apples uh, ripen later, and so not all fruits are harvested at the same time. So while the barley harvest is in the end of March, you get to the end of September, and this is when olives Grapes, pomegranates, figs are all harvested. Basically, the fruits from trees. You take the grapes, you turn them into wine, which can be preserved. You take the olives, turning it into olive oil, which can be preserved. And that was a fall harvest. So these are literally like opposite of each other on the calendar. Passover on one side, six months later, Tabernacle. So you come to Tabernacles, and there's harvest, and there's history. You come to Tabernacles, the harvest was, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for pomegranates, grapes, olives, for this abundance of the tree. But historically, you remembered the time in your history when you were in the wilderness. The children of Israel, they escape Egypt, they go out into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, God preserved them and provided for them until they came into the land of promise. And so, by, by the way, tabernacles would have been, as a kid, if I had lived then, tabernacles would have been my favorite holiday of the three. Because tabernacles was a week-long campout. Literally, families would build booths like lean-tos and live in them to remember the wilderness wanderings where you lived in tents, where you didn't have houses with foundations, and how God took care of you during that time. And so it was called the Feast of Tabernacles, or tents, or booths, 
And uh, that would have been my favorite as a kid. So it, uh, history, uh, uh, harvest and history. Harvest was a tree harvest, uh, or vines, grapes, pomegranates, uh, olives, but also commemorated that he provides for us. So historically, you go to the three feasts, and it's kind of like he rescued us, he guides us, he provides for us. He rescued us, he guides us, he provides for us, and you would do this on a cycle again and again and again and again, giving thanks for the food that you were now able to eat for the crop and also remembering your sacred history. So that's a just brief overview, and again, we'll take a deeper dive into these uh, individually and see the beauty of each one and different components of it. But that kind of allows you to kind of capture the idea of the year. Now what I want to do is just show three different practices, three different habits, three different challenges, which I think can guide our hearts as we move into Thanksgiving this week. Three different habits and practices I think can guide our hearts as we move toward Christmas and uh, New Year's and Super Bowl on the other side of that. So three practices. Uh, habit number one, practice number one, is the habit of gratitude. The habit of giving thanks. And today, I mean Thanksgiving Day, the day of giving thanks, Thanksgiving Day, is just days away. But understand that it is possible with everything going on, if you use some family and pumpkin pie and meals and football, it is possible to blow through Thanksgiving Day and not even think to give, to give thanks. But woven into these three festivals, uh, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, there was woven into them a thank you. It's like, God, we know where our stuff comes from. You provided the rain that fell on the ground. We have this harvest because of your goodness. There is baked into these three feasts a thank you, thank you, thank you. So let me make a distinction with you that I, I, hope, I hope is helpful. The distinction is the difference between giving thanks for and giving thanks to. And this is what I mean. Uh, often, you know, family gathers, Thanksgiving Day, maybe adult children, okay, let's go around the table, everybody give, everyone mention something you're thankful for. This is a good practice. Something you're thankful for. I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for. When I'm thankful for, it helps me look around. Now, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for that. This is being thankful for. Being thankful to lifts the chin upward with a thank you. This is being thankful to, not just being thankful for. So I got a project for you, and it's Thanksgiving Day. I mean, maybe Wednesday night, the night before, if things are quiet, maybe early Thanksgiving morning before things maybe get busy. I would just love for you to find just a piece of paper, a pen, and just sit down and lift the chin and just go, dear Lord, being thankful to, dear Lord, thank you for. And then just list some blessings from the year or even from the last few weeks. Or you can just say, gracious Lord, thank you for this and this and this. It, do, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. Thank you, Lord, uh, for bringing us through another year. Thank you, Lord, that today, Thanksgiving Day, we will have more than enough to eat. Thank you, Lord, that as the snow flies outside, we have heat, we have blankets, we have coats. Thank you. 
Maybe thank you, Lord, that even in the challenges of this past year, even in the setbacks of this past year, even with the frustrations and disappointments of this past year, you have provided strength, you have provided hope, you provided the perseverance to continue one day at a time. Thank you for being with us in this. I'm guessing that some of you, as you start writing, you, you'll, you'll write four or five things, and yet if you, if you take 15 minutes or so, man, you might find yourself filling a page as you look back over the year. Maybe it's health, maybe it's opportunity, maybe it's new family members. Maybe it's strength, perseverance, endurance, hope, peace that God gave during a challenging season. The first Jewish festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, they're marked by gratitude. There is a thank you God, thank you God baked into them. I would encourage you to take this practice this, this Thanksgiving day. I also want to suggest that once a year probably isn't enough. You with me on that one? Probably good not to be thankful just one day a year. So let me throw out some suggestions. And what I'm talking about here is not just that you would have thankful moments from time to time, but that there would be a habit of giving thanks. There'd be a habit of giving thanks. So let me just throw some things out. One of them might be something as simple as mealtime prayer. Doesn't have to be complicated. Doesn't have to be fancy uh, for the gifts that we are about to receive. I mean, sometimes it's keeping your eyes open and just looking at the table and saying, Dear Lord, we thank you for grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup. Thank you. We know where our stuff comes from. And thank you for people who make bread and thank you for people who craft cheese and thank you for the Campbell Soup Company that learned how to can this for us. Thank you, but then it becomes a habit of giving thanks. So perhaps this is uh, like mealtime prayer. For some of you, uh, you get paid on a regular basis. Some of you don't. Some of you like real estate, commission-based, it's feast and famine every once in a while. But some of you, it's like every other Friday or first of the month or something like that. Uh, if there's a deposit, I'm holding this up, this represents a pay stub. I used to get these. Now it's like electronic, right? But... Most of us are aware of when we are paid. You with me on this? Like, you kind of know when that's happening. What if that were a moment that you would just pause and move the chin up and not just I'm thankful for, but I'm thankful to God. Thank you for the ability to work. Thank you for the opportunity to work. Thank you for this job that I have right now and this pay stub, what this represents. What this represents is food and shelter and clothing and transportation. Thank you. Thank you. What if regular thank you was baked into our life at set times and regular intervals? Maybe that's mealtime prayer. Maybe that's once a year at Thanksgiving. Maybe, maybe that's when you, you know, because you're not on a necessarily an agricultural cycle, but you might be on a pay cycle. I've talked before about a habit that I started, I don't know, over 10 years ago now, which is just every day writing down three unique things I'm thankful for. A unique food item, a unique clothing item, a conversation I have that goes really well, an encouraging email, something that just gave me joy, uh, and I just write down three things. I, I didn't start that because I'm a grateful person. I started that habit, I started that discipline because I was detecting 
patterns of ungratefulness, ingratitude in my life, and I just didn't want to become an ungrateful old guy. <laughs> and so my uh, theory was that um, blessings are probably bombarding my life by the hundreds each day, and what if I stopped and just reached out and grabbed three of them as they flew by? But for me, this has become a habit of lifting the chin and saying, gracious God, thankful Thank you for. So this habit number one is gratitude, and it's is baked into these three harvest festivals as they would show up in Jerusalem and give thanks for the barley harvest, the wheat harvest, and then the olive, grape, pomegranate, fig harvest. But as you recall what you've been given, it also provides you with an opportunity to consider what you are giving. And so habit number two shifts from gratitude to generosity, gratitude to generosity. Now, that, that Deuteronomy passage that we read each year, three times a year, these are the feasts, travel to Jerusalem, uh, it ends with this comment. No one should appear before the Lord, what's that last expression, hyphenated? Appear before the Lord what? With nothing in your hands. Well, what am I supposed to carry with me? For each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord has blessed you. This would be like what's sometimes called a first fruits offering where you would have your barley harvest and then you would bring a gift of barley to Jerusalem to uh, uh, keep the temple uh, going. Uh, in the fall, you might bring some fall type products, but I love the term that's used there. Each one should bring a gift and the term was in, each one must bring a gift in, what's that word? Proportion. My friends, this is where we get the technical term proportionate giving. And this is a principle that is in the New Testament after the time of Jesus, in addition as, as Old Testament uh, Israelite communities. It's proportionate giving. All, all proportionate giving, it's a technical term which basically means when you're making more, you should give more. Uh, if your salary should grow, your generosity should grow. If you're in one of those spaces in time where your income is rising, your giving should rise as well. That's what I meant by proportionate giving. Each one should bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord has blessed you. So back in the day, you know, you'd look over your harvest and say, what kind of year did you have? They say, we had a killer year. We crushed it this year. We had to rain at exactly the right time. We had a bumper crop. Our barn is filling. You bring a larger gift. What kind of year did you have? It was a so-so year. And you bring a gift kind of in the middle. Uh, how, what kind of a year did you have? Man, it was rough, and I'm not entirely sure how we're going to make it. You still bring something. No one arrives empty-handed. Everybody brings something, but in proportion to how you were blessed that year. So smaller blessing, smaller gifts, larger blessing, larger gifts. So there's an opportunity here to challenge you in this area of generosity. And so I'm aware, I'm aware every, every weekend that in addition to the family of Ada Bible Church, we have some people from other parts of the country or even other parts of West Michigan that, that are part of another church family, but also routinely you also watch the video teaching from Ada Bible Church. And so I just really want to take just a moment to challenge those of you that are parts of ministries other than Ada Bible Church I just want to challenge you with this statement. Um, always be giving something to your church family. Say, well, we're kind of not 
<laughs> we're kind of broke right now, then bring less. We had an awesome year, then bring more. But always be in the habit of giving something to the church family that nurtures you and attempts to bless your community. Um, Chris and I, we, we started this discipline when we were like 21. I mean, we were newlyweds. Our salary was smaller. Our gifts were smaller. And yet, I'm so glad that as a 21-year-old newlywed couple, we started this discipline of hiving off a percentage of our income to bless the church family that was a blessing to us. Over time, as our giving has grown, we've been able to consistently uh, give financially to some other ministries that we believe in that are close to our heart. But we started that thing with our church family when we were 21. Now, when I speak of such things to the Ada Bible Church family, there's a certain type of person that wants to get up and applaud and kind of, Jeff, you go, and you know who that person is. It's the type of person that has already embraced a lifestyle of generous giving and has found themselves to be so blessed as they are a blessing to others. And it's often the person that is the consistent, devoted, generous giver that goes, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for encouraging other people <laughs> to embrace this lifestyle that we have embraced and find so much blessing from. Okay, let me encourage you at this point. Let me encourage those of you, let me challenge those of you who are consistent, faithful, devoted, like clockwork type generous givers. And this is where I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do a checkup every once in a while to see if you're actually doing what you thought you were doing. And by that I mean this. Guy sits down, it's 2018, or a couple sits down, a woman sits down, and they just got like, I've gotta get serious about this, and the Lord has blessed us, and we wanna be a blessing to our church and to others. And so what you do is you pick a percentage point, some, some percentage point of your income, and it represents <clears throat> this amount. And so you go, okay, that is the amount we're gonna give away month after month after month after month, and you nail it. I mean, maybe it's even, you know, direct deposit, uh, you know, a, a gift of that sort. Month after month after month after month. But then you turn around a couple times, and you're on the verge of 2023. This is the checkup that I mean. You wake up one day, and four years have passed, and you go, we're still giving that amount that we were giving in 2018. And we've had a couple cost of living increases and that major raise, and the Lord is blessing us, and our giving has not kept up with that blessing. And so here's the opportunity to just go, uh-oh, I don't think we're doing what we thought we were doing. And so those of us who are just consistent, faithful like clockwork, I just want to challenge you every once in a while just to kind of check in because it's possible for income to go up and for giving not to go up, and we lose this sense of giving in proportion to the way the Lord has blessed us. And by the way, the motivation for this should never be guilt, and it shouldn't even be the needs of the organization we're part of. The roots of this generosity thing are anchored in the generosity of God and His goodness. There's a question that just hits me so deeply. It's a question that a songwriter asked. 
The song is called Psalm 116 in our Bible. And in verse 12, the songwriter asks this question, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? He's joyful. He's overflowing with joy. He's bursting with joy. He recognizes the goodness and strength and peace that God has brought into his life. And he just goes, what gift can I possibly give that matches all the Lord's goodness to me? What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? First, there's his goodness in creation, and then there's goodness through the cross. I mean, it begins with the fruits and the vegetables and the bread and the the grilled cheese sandwich that we eat, God's goodness in creation, but then we realize Jesus came for us when we were far from him, that God reached down to us when we couldn't reach up to him. That God doesn't love me because I've been good. He loves me because he's good. And he gave himself for me, and out of this sense of being loved, that mercy has flowed in my direction, that God was whispering my name even before I knew to call out to him. His goodness through creation, his goodness through the cross, something that should kind of bubble up and go, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? This is the heart motivation for the generous life. Okay, Jeff, we got it, we got it. So these uh, Israelites, uh, agricultural people, they're supposed to travel to Jerusalem, you know, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, and they're supposed to bring gifts with them, anything else, yes. They're supposed to bring people with them. They're supposed to drag people along <laughs> from their villages. This is habit number three. Habit number three is community. The habit of community. Now, that verses that we started out with three times a year, these are the feasts right before that. There's a description of the Feast of the Tabernacles, that fall feast, that agricultural pomegranate fig grape feast, right? I want you to see who is to be included in this feast. Check this out with me. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 14. Be joyful at your feast. Be joyful at your festival. You, and then groups, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites. The Levites were uh, leaders in your community that didn't get land and so probably didn't have a lot of financial opportunity. The Levites, the foreigners, these are immigrants that had moved in, like refugees that had moved to your area, probably because they were in dire, dire financial situation. And the widow, and the fatherless, and the widows living in your towns. Travel to Jerusalem for this festival, but don't travel alone. Think about who you might include. And so a family, is they ready to travel to Jerusalem for this fall festival, the Feast of the Tabernacles? There's a widow that lives down the street who has lost her husband two years ago and who does not have the financial resources to take this trip, who probably just barely gets enough to eat, and they go, please travel with us. Come to this feast with us for this week. You will enjoy this festival and this feast. This is on us. This is a family who looks down the other street, and there are a couple kids that lost their dad the year before, and they are hard-pressed financially. The idea of feasting is not in their vocabulary. It's in their dreams. It's not in their vocabulary. They say, why don't you travel with us? Uh, foreigners, immigrants that had moved to the area, possibly because of famine in another area or war in another area, what better way to learn about the goodness of the God of Israel than to travel to Jerusalem with an Israelite family celebrate this feast to the goodness of God and also be reminded of the sacred history. He rescued us, he guides us, he provides for us. You, 
then your kids, your sons and daughters, then your servants, male and female servants, then this group, the Levites, then the foreigners, then the fatherless, and then the widows. This is the habit of including. And of these three habits, I personally will find this one the most difficult. The habit of including. I think the idea here is this. Be on the lookout for people in your world who have no people. Be on your lookout, particularly over the holidays, for people without family. Be on your lookout for the recently separated dad who does not have Christmas Day with his kids. Separated mom who does not have Christmas Day with her children. With the parents that are empty nests and their kids live in other states or other countries. Be on the lookout for people without people or people without family, particularly over the holidays. I personally find this one most challenging for a couple reasons. Reason number one, my life responsibilities. Most weeks, I'm not under-challenged. Can you imagine that? Most weeks, I'm not under-challenged. But then there's a kid thing. Uh, we have three married children, and right now, they all happen to live in Grand Rapids area. Sarah, she lived in Chicago for seven years. She moved back. A son lived internationally for three years. He's in Grand Rapids now. And so we've got these three children that are married children, and they have produced offspring, which means we're now doing the grandparent thing and fully embracing it. So i got responsibility, and, and then you got kids and grandkids. And that's not to mention my extended family. I have four brothers. My folks live in the Grand Rapids area. i got four brothers that live in the Grand Rapids area, and I barely see them. Some days, oh my goodness, it's criminal to live 20, 25 minutes away. I almost never get to hang out with my brothers and their families. And then there's friends. I mean, not just casual acquaintances, but people. We've been in their life. They've been in our life for year after year after year. And we go, you know, we got to get together with them. We got to get together with them. We got to get together with them. So this very idea of scouring your world and say, who can I include? There's something inside of some of us that goes, you got to be kidding me. Is anybody with me on this one? My dance card is all filled up. I just want to pause and I just want to say from this passage of Scripture that there appears to be something on the heart of God that leaps when you include someone in your world, either because they don't have family, don't have people in their world, or they don't have the financial opportunity or perhaps advantages. There's something in the heart of God let me put it another way. When these people are commanded to go to this feast and rejoice the harvest, when God says, look out for the widow, look out for the orphan and the immigrant that's just moved in, there's something about that that makes me want to like God very much. There's something in me that just goes, that's just so right. But I find it, of these three, man, I got my gratitude thing down every day, the three gratitudes and our giving practices have been in place for decades. This deal about the habit of including. For me, I think that's the toughest of the three. As 19 years old, college student in Grand Rapids, uh, my family lived in California at the time. Graduated from high school in California. Chris's folks, she lived in California. And for some reason, I stayed in Grand Rapids over Christmas break in order to work. 
So just think kind of abandoned college campus with a handful of us. Went with a buddy to church one weekend. The service ends, and a couple near us, the wife says, uh, would, you, would you join us for lunch today? And I said, yes. <laughs> I would like to think in my mind, oh, no, no, no. It was yes, yes. And rather than going to a cold, empty college campus, they went to their house afterwards. I remember they had uh, an adult, I think it was son, that was like mid-20s. You know, we were like 19 or 20, and then they had a teenage daughter. I remember that they picked out an album and that they played Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Look it up. Sweet Caroline. Bum, bum, bum. That guy, all right? I don't remember what they served. In my mind, it was like roast beef and like mashed potatoes. This wasn't like lunch, this was like Sunday dinner type thing. It's 19 years old. I remember the street they lived on, kind of East Town area. I couldn't pick out the house, but I know the street, and I could say, you know, it's probably that one, that one, or that one. I remember the last name of the couple. Over the years in Grand Rapids, you meet someone at the same place, and say, hey, by any chance are you related to, and I've met one or the other of the children, I've met two of their grandchildren over time. Now, you've got to understand something. I'll make something perfectly clear. I was not depressed. I would have eaten something that day. I was not in deep need. I was kind of alone, but I don't remember feeling lonely. And yet I just remember this couple that included a couple random college students for Sunday dinner that day. Do you know why they did that? I don't know, but I have a suspicion. I think they were in the habit of including. I don't think inviting us was like this one-off deal. I think they were just in the life habit of kind of scanning their world or at least their church sanctuary for people with no people. <laughs> I think they were in the habit of including. Now, I don't have a clue what this looks like for you. It might be three extra chairs around an already full table. This might be an extra pizza in inviting someone over on Super Bowl weekend. This, this might be buying two extra tickets to a Griffins game that you're taking your son to. This might be an extra ticket or two to the nutcracker to invite someone into an opportunity they otherwise might not have or taken advantage of. I just know that this deal of including, being on the lookout and including people in, it seems to me to be something that is on the heart of God. And I have to remember something. I have to remember that he included me. <laughs> that when I was lost and I was a stranger to him, God reached down to me when I couldn't reach up to him. He was whispering my name before I knew to call out to him. He included me. And he invites me. He gives me an invitation to the feast to mimic him, to resemble him in inviting others in. I, I, I think all of these three things, the three things we've looked at today, the three practices, the three habits, gratitude, generosity, and community, I think these flow from who God is. I think these flow from his character. I think that gratitude on our behalf, it just, it reflects thanksgiving for his generosity. 
I think generosity on our part is reflecting the fact that we are acquiring the DNA of a God who is wildly generous. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? And the thing about community, I think there's something on the heart of God that just keeps reaching out. Jesus would say, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What is my mission? I'm just looking for and rescuing people that totally lost their way. <laughs> He's come from the heart of God. In the upcoming weeks, we will find ourselves invited to the feast, invited to his feast. And we will find new and creative ways and explore ways of reflecting the God who is both in pursuit and desires to show his goodness to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for dialing into week number one. Hope, hope you can be back next week. Let me ask you to stand here at our campuses. I'll offer a prayer for us as we move into our weeks. Gracious God, as we prepare to move into Thanksgiving week, Open our eyes, open our hearts to your goodness for us. Replicate that goodness in us. Remind us that we are invited to the feast. We ask this in the name of Jesus who came here for us. Amen. We'll see you next week.